Well, it's wonderful to be with you again, and I uh, consider it a great honor that you would give me a little bit of your time, and um, hopefully the Lord will be glorified and will be mutually edified like the Bible teaches. And uh, we are going over the Sunday school lesson uh, for Graceway Baptist Church for January 31st, and um, amazing, it seems like uh, we get into a certain time of the year, the holidays, that type of stuff. And then, um, man, once we get past the new year, we just blaze on, don't we? And so uh, it's been a good month so far. I hope you've enjoyed it. hope that the Lord is blessing you and hope that you're staying healthy. Big deal right now, isn't it? And so um, let's go ahead and take a dive into this because when we go through this, uh, these questions and answers, you'll notice that... Uh, some of them have to do with God. Some of them have to do with His nature and His character and that type of thing. What we're talking about today is a continuation about the idea of creation. Now, creation is a major theme of the Bible. And it seems, as you read through both the Old and the New Testament, the God that created is also the God who is the one who redeems, who delivers His people out of bondage and from hell and sin's penalty, those type of things. And uh, the two are really tied together. So you can see why there has been such a, uh, uh, a concerted effort over the years to discount the whole idea of creation. Who created, how things were created, because that really does, um, well, that teaches people what to think about God, that teaches people what to think about their stewardship. It teaches people how to think about even uh, the nature and the power of God. And so if you have a God who didn't create everything, then maybe he's not so worthy of our worship, and maybe he is not the one that we really look to when we have problems or trials or when we need salvation, if indeed, they might say, we need salvation at all. And so... Um, we uh, go back and we affirm the uh, biblical teaching of creation and the power and the uh, greatness of our God. As the little children pray, God is great and God is good. And those two things do go together, the greatness of God and the goodness of God and attributes of greatness and attributes of goodness. And creation would be one of those where the two are tied together. So... What else did God create is the question. Here's the answer. God created all things by his powerful word and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. Can you imagine what it must have been like before man monkeyed it with everything? Can you imagine what it must have been like before Satan and sin had touched anything. Can you even begin to imagine? We live in a fairly harsh environment here in Oklahoma, don't we? Um, it can get pretty cold, and uh, it can also get <laughs> extremely hot. And then just think about, man, it wasn't, um, but last week, remember those winds that were coming in out of the north? My goodness. Not to mention we're heading into spring, and you have tornado season, and all of that, and sometimes it floods, sometimes we have a drought. It just, 
Doesn't seem like we get very many of those moderate days where the temperature's nice and there's low wind and uh, everything just is wonderful. That doesn't happen very much at all. Can you imagine what central Oklahoma would be like if we didn't have any of the harshness or the extremes? I'm telling you, everybody would want to live here. It would be a beautiful place. But uh, because of all of these kind of things, everything has changed in the environment from the original creation. I wonder what it was like here when God first created it. And uh, we think about the Garden of Eden and we think about paradise, everything in the environment worked with man instead of against him. Everything in the environment was exactly what it needed to be. Not too little, not too much, just perfection on everything. It was the introduction of sin that changed everything with the environment and all of that that uh, we have to deal with and battle today. Because when God looked at it and said that it was very good, that's quite a pronouncement, isn't it? Our verse of scripture that we want to uh, take a look at is in Genesis 1.31, just a part of it. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So from top to bottom, everything was good, capped off by uh, humanity. We uh, are the crown jewel of his creation. And uh, here we are made in the image of God, male and female, created uh, to love him, to know him, to connect with him, to understand him to a certain degree. And that is all a, a thing that God looked at and he treasured. That's why he said, after creating humans, that it was very good. He treasured it. It's something that he loved. He would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and uh, he would fellowship with them because he treasured it. It wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't because he needed it. Our God is an absolute God who has need of nothing. However, he did love it and he enjoyed it. He spent time with his creatures. And uh, this is such a, um, oh, one of the things I think that we forget that God has created us with a capacity that no other creature has, and that is to be redeemed, to be redeemable, I guess we would say, and then to have the ability to connect with God. You see, when Adam was created, he was a body and he was a soul. That's his personality, the real uh, whoever he is, mind, will, and emotions. And he also had a spirit. And the body connected to the environment, hot, cold, whatever is going on there. And the soul connected to other people. That's how he would relate to Eve and to his children later on. His mind, his will, and his emotions. His thinker, one person said, his feeler, and his chooser. All of those kind of things related to other people. And then his spirit related to God. Now, the amazing thing was, though, unlike us in our fallen world, the spirit dominated Adam. And Adam's walk with God dominated 
everything that he did. It affected the way that his soul related to other people. And so he related to Eve in a proper way. And he related to his children in a proper and godly and appropriate way. And then his body uh, was affected by his soul. Everything was in balance. Everything was in harmony. He had health and he um, ate the right things and did the right things, enjoyed the right things. You know, sometimes I uh, wish I enjoyed certain things. I wish I, I wish I enjoyed kale like I enjoy Oreos, but that ain't going to happen. But in Adam's day, he probably did. And in Adam's time, everything fit together so that body, soul, and spirit, or maybe we should say spirit, soul, and body, affected everything in Adam's life because it was controlled by his spirit that related to God. Until that fateful day when the serpent tempted Eve and she decided to eat of the fruit. We don't know if it was an apple, do we? And Eve then gave it to Adam, who was with her, and he knew exactly what he was doing, walked into it with his eyes wide open, and then everything changed. And everything began to change, and it's been changing ever since. Things get worse. Things get more difficult. All of these kind of... Um, the predicaments of sin, I guess we might call them, are uh, not something that get better and better and better, but they tend to get worse and worse and worse. They tend to multiply. And so we look at all of this with the idea that, well, God made it, and at one time, <clears throat> pardon me, it was all good. In fact, it was all very good. And nothing about that has changed other than the uh, outgrowth because of sin. And so since God made and owns everything, and we can only take from him, that's very important, we can only take from him, then what response should we have? And this is where I think a lot of uh, sin and a lot of evil comes in. When you uh, look at the Ten Commandments, and you look at the first ones that have to do with how we're supposed to relate to God, and then the latter half that tells us how we're supposed to relate to other humans. Think about the things that uh, are in there, um, honoring parents, for example, not stealing, not killing, not committing adultery. Uh, but the last one is one that uh, we don't consider very much. If uh, someone committed adultery with your spouse, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you would think that's a big deal. If someone killed your child, if they came into your house and murdered your child, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, you would probably think that would be a big deal. Am I right? But if someone coveted after something that you have, you might be a little proud of that. I um, occasionally I see some uh, people out in public and I, I see the uh, way that um, this man, he's with, he's with his, I'll presume, maybe even wife, may not be, but let's presume wife. 
and she is really, really good looking, and she's dressed highly inappropriately, shall we say, uh, immodest. And that man is walking along, and uh, he's got her on his arm. She's a trophy wife, let's say. And uh, you can tell that that guy likes all of the admiring, well, maybe even lustful looks that she is getting from the other guys because he's proud that other people are coveting his wife. See? And we look at that and we're kind of proud of that. If other people, if, if we have the kind of house or the kind of car or wear the kind of clothes that make other people envious of us or covetous of us, we're kind of proud of that. Unlike the other ones where we don't want somebody messing with our property or stealing our property, but that one is okay in our minds. And yet, if you'll remember what you read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he talked about being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he talked about how well he did obeying the commandments of God, except for that one. Covetousness, that gets all of us. And the Apostle Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. Have you worshipped an idol lately? Well, you have if you have been desirous of what someone else has, jealous of what someone else has, or envious of what someone else has, and wish that you had it for yourself, and wish that they were inferior to you. That's what the commandment is uh, all about. And it's interesting that as we think about the Ten Commandments, we all say we want to live by those, except that last one really kind of fuels our economy, doesn't it? It kind of fuels our ambition. It fuels our drive. We want to be like somebody else, and we want to be superior to other people. And as sin entered the world, and we began to think about ourselves, we began to take the place of God, and so everything should belong to us. All of the glory, all of the attention, all of the desire should come our way. And we want other people in the world to envy us and to want to be like us and we want to be top dog when actually that status belongs only to God. So it's something we need to work on because as the Creator, how do we respond to Him? How do we think of Him? And how do we act toward Him? Let me give you some suggestions and uh, have you certainly think about these things. Number one would be thankfulness. When's the last time you really were a thankful person? And what were you thankful for? And why were you thankful? And uh, we could have maybe somebody that um, had cancer. And they went through all of their treatments, chemo, radiation, that type of thing, and now they're cancer-free. <laughs> now, we would certainly be thankful. That's easy. Maybe you were um, driving and... <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> and someone... Let me back that up, okay. Maybe you were driving, and someone almost hit you, and they barely missed you, and it would have been... A horrible, horrible wreck. It's easy to be thankful after something like that. But I want to say that 
if God is the creator and he is, then thankfulness ought to be on our lips, in our heart, on our mind, all the time for everything. What about the air that you breathe? What about gravity? What about clean water? What about all of the things that you enjoy every day that you think that you're just entitled to, that everyone has a right to? Well, God is the author of those things, and we ought to be thankful to Him as our Creator. The Bible says in, you know this, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know the will of God? The will of God is not so much, who do I marry, what job do I take, and all of that. The will of God is simply being thankful in all circumstances because God is with you and God has created things that he allows you to partake of and to participate in, things that you are able to enjoy, little things as well as the big things. And so since God created it, then we ought to be thankful because it really belongs to him. And understand that humility brings grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And humble people are thankful people. They understand their place and what they have. And being thankful means that uh, we are going to have the appropriate response to the one who created and the one who owns everything. Which leads us to number two. If God owns everything, then we are stewards. What is a steward? You know, in uh, Baptist circles, whenever somebody says stewardship, we grab our wallet, don't we? And uh, really, that's not the whole thing. The idea of being a steward means to be a manager. I am managing God's property. So are you. So are you. It's God's money. It's God's time. It's God's health. It's God's strength. It's God's mobility. Whatever it is that we have, we are to use it as good stewards of it. How do we manage it? How do we take care of it? And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes to these carnal, out-of-balance Corinthians who were wasting their life, living it for themselves. And here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 4, 7. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Can I say that again? And what do you have that you did not receive? You know, we try to look at things and say, well, I'm different than that person. They're not like me and I'm not like them. And what is it that we look at? Well, maybe we look at our physique. Maybe we look at eye color, hair color. Maybe we look at coordination. Maybe we look at intellect, any of those things. And the question Paul is asking, that whenever you start thinking yourself to be different and superior and you are to be treated differently than other people, do you realize what you're actually saying? I deserve this. And Paul, to counter that, says, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer, of course, is nothing. Why should we be arrogant about something we had nothing to do with? You know, sometimes with little children, we uh, praise them and make over them because of their hair or their eye color or something like that. 
And they didn't choose their eye color, did they? And uh, they weren't the ones that made themselves beautiful or ugly, for that matter, did they? Uh, this is something that we have to understand. Everything we have, we received. Now, he goes on to say, Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You didn't achieve it. You didn't make it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. So understand that God gives us everything we have and that we are stewards, our managers. How do you use it is the key. There's nothing wrong with being ugly. Thank the Lord for that. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It's how you use those things, how you use your intellect, how you use your time, how you use your talents, all of those things that God has given to you. And we are to do everything we do for the benefit or the glory, you might say, of God. So how has God benefited from your day, from this past week, or maybe even this past month? I know these are difficult times. And I know there are things that are happening all around us politically and philosophically. There are things happening uh, around us economically and uh, even with the COVID thing. Think about this. What has been done this past month for 2021? What has been done for the benefit of God, the glory of God? He wouldn't put us in it if we couldn't do it. Now, the stewardship thing brings us then to number three, and that is we ought to, in response to the creation of God, we ought to be content. We ought to love Him enough and trust Him enough to know that whatever He gives us is enough. And whatever He gives us is a gift. It's what He wants us to have. And He would never give us something that was just simply substandard. Whatever He gives us, it'll be enough to meet all of our needs, to be able to share some with other people, and um, we'll do that for, of course, His glory, His benefit. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do we really treasure God? You know, you've heard it said before, and we've all said amen to it, that we ought to love the giver more than we love the gift, the blesser more than we love the blessing. But the problem is almost none of us really do that. The people that really do that, I would say, would be in a minority. Because just about the time you think you've got it, just about the time you think that you have mastered humility and contentment, and something comes along that challenges that. Something comes along that destroys that. And the writer of Hebrews seems to indicate something that we haven't learned as well as we ought to learn. We know this intellectually, but do we feel it? Do we really have it in our heart, in our soul? God is the greatest treasure of all. And we are to treasure Him. And we are to consider Him the greatest thing 
that has ever happened to us. Now, I know we sing that, and I know when the appropriate time comes up, we say that, and we give our testimony and talk about it like that. But then let something go a little bit wrong. The raise didn't come in. The financing didn't go through. I mean, on and on we could go. And notice how our emotions change. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us that if we can tie everything that we really value to the Lord, then we can be content and we can have the joy of the Lord in a prison cell. We can have it at a funeral home. We can have it in the hospital. We can have it wherever we are and in all situations. And maybe that was the key to what the Apostle Paul did. Why could he sing songs at midnight in a prison when he was unjustly imprisoned? Um, when we think about those kind of things, maybe the key was just simply he loved God more than he loved his freedom. He loved God more than he loved stuff. He loved God more than anything else. And that was evidenced because at midnight, what were they singing? <laughs> they weren't singing Hank Williams songs. They weren't sitting around singing the blues, were they? I guess they would have been justified, but they didn't. The Bible says they were singing hymns to God because the love of God, the greatness of God, the power of God, and the presence of God, we could go on, None of that had changed. And if we could understand that, he will never leave us or forsake us. Circumstances may change, but your relationship with God doesn't change. It never changes. And so our contentment has to be found in him. And then the stuff that he provides is not really the big deal. We don't get all wrapped up over it. We don't get upset because somebody else has more than we have. We're able to rejoice with them. If they get a new swimming pool, we're happy for them. Instead of envious and upset, nobody needs that. Why would anybody do that? How can you even be saved and spend that kind of money? I mean, you've heard that kind of stuff, right? And we turn into hypocrites because all of those things we criticize others for, when the opportunity comes our way, we jump at it. We normally don't turn it down. And so we've got to be careful. And so some of these things, when God blesses and prospers another person in a way that he doesn't bless or prosper you, are you happy for them? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? Do you truly weep with those who weep? And are you content with such things that you have? Because you know whether you have it all or whether you have very little, you still have the greatest treasure of all. And that is the Lord. So loving him is supreme and nothing, nothing, nothing must take us away from that because that contentment comes from knowing God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, and that's probably you, probably me, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything, look at these two words, to enjoy. God, in other words, wants you to own and possess and manage things, not have them possess and control you. 
your emotions, or anything else. So if you are in the richest 1%, which nearly all Americans are compared to the world, then it says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Which brings us down to the fourth thing, keying off of what Paul said. Then we've got to have generosity. We can't just hoard things. We can't just consider them to be ours. We can't just hold on to them as though somehow nobody else has a right to these things. And the goal of my life is to protect my property or my stuff. Now, hold on there. I do believe in private property. I am not a socialist. I do not believe the Bible teaches socialism. In fact, just going to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, thou shalt not steal. Kind of settles that. God is a God who gives us things. There there are things called private property. And I do think you have a right to defend and um, you ought to take care and be a good steward of those things. But we've also got to be careful that we don't hoard them and consider them as ours. They actually belong unto the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, look at verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You know, Solomon is saying there's something about a generous person. And what would that be? And I'll just sum it up by saying this. Because you're never more like God than when you give. For God so loved the world, he gave. It's the only thing he could do. Love gives. Love is generous. Love shares. And there are all kinds of illustrations and stories throughout the Bible where people took what God had placed in their care and they sold it and they gave it the proceeds to someone else. Led to great trouble for Ananias and Sapphira, but great blessing for Barnabas, the son of consolation. So understand that giving is a mark of godliness and that giving should be done freely. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, cheerful givers are generous people. And generosity is what brings blessings. The stingy never enjoy what they hold so tightly to. They're always afraid it's going to get away from them. They never really enjoy it. But giving generously is no problem when you own nothing. You give what belongs to God. You know, if uh, somebody gave me, let's say, a million dollars, and they said, use it for whatever, and all of a sudden my uh, heating and air goes out in my house, what do I do? Panic? No, I just write a check out of that guy's money and go, huh, I'm glad he put it here and I'm glad that I have it and it doesn't bother me. God wants us to understand that's the way it is in life. If you need something, he provides for our needs, doesn't he? And uh, when things go wrong, he's the one who is 
our provider, giving us all things richly to enjoy. But with that, turning it over means we also have to have these other things in place as well. Why? Because he is the creator and he is the owner of it all. And we'll sum it up by saying this, especially understand he owns you. He owns you. It's what it means when we say on Sunday mornings, Jesus is Lord. You're the boss. You're the master. You're the owner. Everything else belongs to you. How well are we doing in reflecting back to him and also in shining forth in a lost world the fact that God is the creator and he's good and he owns everything. He even owns us. So some things to think about and I pray that you will and pray that God will direct your heart into these things that are certainly um, honoring and glorifying to him. And may the Lord bless you and thank you again for taking the time to uh, watch this video. And may the Lord bless you. If you're a teacher, thank you. And may the Lord bless you and bless your class as well for his glory.